Ladies and gentlemen, shore leave is over. Welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Hi. And Cicero Holmes. I'm a hormonal space rabbit. <laughs> that we will talk about that soon next episode but soon so obviously we've been gone a while and rather than bore you with the details of why that's the case let me just basically boil it down to a state of general busyness on the part of every member member of this panel obviously a ton of news has transpired over the last couple of months but we also have an important discussion to have as well as the first short treks episode to react to the next time you hear from us so This episode will primarily continue our look at our panel's choices for all-time favorite Star Trek episodes, and this week's selection comes from none other than our film critic and college professor extraordinaire, Mr. Zaki Hassan. His choice is The Visitor, the third episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine's fourth season, which takes an emotional deep dive into the relationship between Benjamin Sisko and his son Jake. But first, as always, how have you guys been doing? And in the last couple of months, has there been any other Star Trek engagement or have you kind of just been poking your head up when uh, when the news seems to be breaking once in a while? Cicero, kick us off. Yeah, so I um, I've been doing more of the uh, former uh, than the latter or actually mm-hmm. I've been doing more of the latter than the former. Um, uh, yeah, look at look at that because I don't know how those words work all of a sudden. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, I, I've been mostly poking my head up. I know that I really wanted to, uh, start a, continue my reverse rewatch of the Star Trek television shows, uh, with DS9. I have not actually started that in earnest yet. And, uh, I really want to, but, uh, other than that, just paying attention to news. Absolutely. And I know that Spawn on Me has been keeping you busy amongst, yes. you know, various tabletop games, including one that's Star Trek related. For those yes. of you that follow the DSC Debrief Twitter handle, definitely check that out. Zachy, last couple of months, uh, I know it's probably gotten even busier for you recently within the last <laughs> month, but uh, give us an idea what you've been up to. Uh, well, yeah, like you said, uh, uh, it's been busy just uh, with the with summer classes give way to fall classes. So uh, not a lot of rest for the wicked. But uh, as far as how I've been engaging with Trek, I've been uh, rereading the old uh, DC Comics uh, uh, series based on the original series from the, from the 80s, the original volume that they did set immediately after Star Trek II. Uh, and that's right. been a lot of fun, you know, just a uh, deep dive into into a time when you could have licensed Star Trek uh, fiction that was just kind of bonkers and out there and <laughs> didn't give a crap about continuity. And I kind of love it. I kind of love that that existed. And I don't think we'll ever get Star Trek like that again. Probably not. Now, what format have you been reading those in? Um, I have uh, the entire series bound in uh, custom books. Oh, okay. So you did like you did with Superman. You got the Star That's Trek right. books bound as well. Okay, yeah, I've got, I've got bound volumes of basically every Star Trek comic from the Marvel run after the motion picture through like the Malibu deep space nine series, every single one. Wow. And, and, and most of the Marvel, like when they did it 
uh, in the late nineties, they, they had their own, uh, they, it's, it was like a, a Paramount comics from Marvel. Uh, right. so I have most so of those. Imprint. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It lasted for like two and a half years, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, the only, I haven't really done very much absorption of those stories. I remember though, especially when I was working at a comic shop and I was always organizing back issues, I always took a second to take a look at what we had of those, which wasn't much, but I remember mm-hmm. being kind of amazed by the artwork, especially on the covers of those books. It always seemed, really yeah. Great. So, so especially the because the, the DC did two volumes uh, of of classic Star Trek, and the second volume, which started after Star Trek Five, almost every cover was by Jerome, Jerome K. Moore, and it is mm. every single issue is like you could hang it on your wall. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I'll uh, bet. You know, yeah, sounds terrific, Rachel. Star Trek engagement over the next over, over the last couple of months. Uh, what have you been doing? Um, I've been watching the third season of TNG. Yeah, and maybe second season if we're going back that far. Right. Yeah. It's been uh, most but yeah, good. early early TNG. I don't know. It's starting to get good now. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. you know, I like all the bad. The we were watching this YouTube video that was like, oh, these are the worst episodes of TNG. And like every other one, I was like, eh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Even even the the bonkers ones I like. Yeah. I was surprised. Many, many of them. That, and Zach, you'll have to speak to this too, but I was surprised, Rachel, you expressed even a little bit of affection for Shades of Grey. Yeah. You know, I hadn't seen it in a long time because I would always just skip it. Yeah. And I just watched it and I was like, yeah, this isn't that bad. I mean, as far as clip shows go, right? Yeah. I mean, I really hate clip shows, Chris. It's not a Friends <laughs> clip show, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> there, there's a decent amount. Like, they film like a quarter to a third of an episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if nothing else, Shades of Grey, it benefited the franchise because after Shades of Grey, there was another, never another Shades of Grey. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah that's, that's true. true. <laughs> so but, it did that for the franchise. Quite a drop in quality, though, considering Trek's lineage with clip shows, because as far as I know, there have only been three episodes total, and two of them were The Menagerie, and yeah. uh, that's, I actually really love watching The Menagerie, even though, that's great. you know, it's it's just the cage reassembled with a well, and, I mean, the beauty it. of The Menagerie is that it wasn't truly a clip show in the sense that it was something that people had not seen before. So. True. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I guess, in modern context, it my reaction to it is similar but yeah at the time hey if you haven't seen it you you have to give them credit they were they were like you know native american tribes they made use of every part of the carcass they were like we got this (laughs) 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 we spent the money already (laughs) excellent well uh we do have a couple of brief pieces of news items before we uh move on to our episode discussion so as usual why don't we talk about those first So rather than go into pretty exhaustive detail about every single thing that has happened since August on the front of Star Trek, which is actually quite a lot, mostly in TV related stuff, like I actually had a news item written up about the whole drama that's going on with CBS right now, especially with Les Moonves stepping down, but I decided to table it because (laughs) I realized how generally irrelevant it was until there might be some movement with the new CBS Paramount merger. But uh, with movies out of the way, it's looking a little more likely. But anyway, the biggest news to come out over the last couple of months all revolve uh, around getting deeper looks at Star Trek Discovery Season 2, including the casting of actor Ethan Peck 
as Spock, as well as a new season two trailer that premiered at the New York Comic-Con that gave us deeper looks at the story, at actress Rebecca Romaine as a number one from the original TOS pilot, as well as our first glimpse of Peck as Spock himself. And we also got a slight uh, amount of voice work from it too. Guys, lay it on me. With all these new things on deck, how do you think season two is shaping up before it's now confirmed January 17th, 2019 premiere date? Zachy? Uh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. It looks good. I, you know, I, I think uh, it, it almost, it feels like, uh, I don't know. It, it feels very totally different from, from what we, what we got in the first season. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of like that. And I don't know if this is their plan moving forward, but it feels like every season, it's almost like an anthology show within like an ongoing show where like there, this season two of discovery is just doing something completely different. No. And here's, here's Pike. And we know Pike is probably, he's not captain of the discovery from now until, you know, the end of the series. So we know we'll get him for a few episodes and that'll be fun. And there'll be like a little Spock thing and then we'll move on. There'll be something else. I kind of like that. And as you guys know, I was not a fan of our extended sojourn into the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, hey, here's something different. I can dig yeah. it. Yeah. And and uh, this uh, this Ethan Peck guy, he looks great. Yeah, he does. You know, he does. I, I have he... to say this. This is an amusing conversation I had with my wife. Well, I I, I find it amusing anyway. Uh, we were watching the trailer, and she's like only sideways aware of Star Trek. Purely, she tolerates it because of me. <laughs> and she's like, oh, is that Spock? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's the new Spock. I was like, you know, the the guy. He's he's Gregory Peck's grandson. And my wife says, in real life. And I said, no, on, on the show, he's Spock. <laughs> <laughs> like, of all the reactions, that was the same. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, nice, nice troll. Troll game 9000. I, I, I like that. Well, good. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're excited because I know I am. One month after my birthday is when it drops. So, nice. Rachel, season two with the new trailer, with everything that we've seen, yeah, my feelings haven't changed. I'm I was excited about it before and I'm excited about it now and But now that you've gotten a little bit more of a glimpse at things. Equal levels of excitement. So it didn't, it didn't <laughs> that trailer didn't move the needle for you at all. No, but I was already pretty like hype, I guess. Yeah. I don't as hype as, you know, I can get. So it couldn't push is, it any further you know, then, is what you're saying. My, well, I don't know. I I guess not. Okay. Okay. Rachel has a very Vulcan response. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. There's yeah. one eyebrow slightly raised. She says, <laughs> yeah. Like, I I do like Ethan Peck though. He looks he looks good. He looks very much like an intermediate between like Baby Spock from 2009 and like grown up Spock. Yeah. Mm. Sure. Yeah. I can see that. And you know it, it it makes it makes sense, I suppose, considering where we are in the timeline. But Cicero, how has, has the needle moved at all for you, or what did you, did you get any new impressions from this new trailer? It's been a few months since I've been able to do this, so I will start by saying hashtag Rachel was right. <laughs> um, I, I I feel similarly to to Rachel. I was already excited. Um, nothing that's come out has made me more excited about uh season two because my excitement level was already at its peak sure um i will say that i think that it's interesting how how i went through the five stages of grief in like a nanosecond uh (laughs) when i heard that spock was cast okay Mm. um you know and then it wasn't zach quinto um, and, uh, so, you know, it was just like, 
oh no, they they're not gonna do it. And then I'm like, all right, well, let me see, let me see the guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and he's Gregory Peck's and he's Gregory Peck's grandson. In real okay. life. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and on the show. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> His great, 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 great. Amanda Grace's uh, <laughs> great great grandfather. Yeah, was was Gregory yeah. Peck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah, I mean there's been there's been a fair amount of news. I've enjoyed all of it. It's um I'm just as eager to see what season two is. Uh what I will say really quickly is that I don't necessarily agree with um the hypothesis that that Zaki kind of tossed out about it potentially almost being like an anthology uh series although mm-hmm. that would be awesome mm-hmm. i think i think what we'll get from season two will be more in line with what we ex- what we can expect going forward from uh discovery unless unless it bombs which means it'll go back to season one mm. it'll go back to this like and i'm speaking about the tones of a show, you know, of a second season that I haven't seen, you know, I've seen right, like right, 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 eight, eight seconds of, right? Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that they've, that the showrunners said uh, before or, you know, in their kind of TSAs and, and, uh, uh, or was it the TCAs and, and at the cons is that season two tonally will, will be, uh, more recognizable to hardcore, quote unquote, hardcore classic Trek fans. Right. Mm. Interesting. So, and I think that's what we'll we'll get going. Well, and it's funny that you bring that up because in preparation for this episode, I took a listen back to what we had spoken about together uh, after we had watched the season finale. And uh, Cicero, you specifically asked me if I would be okay with another actor taking up the role of Spock. And I said, yes, but Quinto is far and away the preference. But, uh, and, you know, now that I think about it, upon further reflection, uh, it makes (laughs) it probably makes more sense for this show in general to go just totally different directions in casting. And we probably should have seen that with the casting of James Frain as Sarek. Like, if they were going to make a concerted effort to try and keep. Yeah those performers unified they probably mm. would have cast ben cross as Sarek, uh but it, you know and, and then and definitely mount. when they de- definitely once anson mount came in yeah i i mm-hmm. was i was ready like i had mentally prepared myself i was like this isn't gonna have quinto in it yeah and right. but you know and then like the night that uh peck was announced i found an interview with him from some abc morning show uh from a couple of years ago and uh the thing that immediately impressed, obviously he's a beautiful man. I mean, he's, he's been a model. So that's, that stuff is all good, but his voice has such a, a, a quality to it that just seems perfect for Spock. I mean, it's mm, certainly, wow. it's certainly deeper than Nimoy's, but uh, mm. it, it also has sort of this tempered quality to it, even just as he's speaking. And he definitely carried that forward in the line from him that we heard in the trailer. So uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm I'm very glad that uh, they're going forward, and it looks like, uh, as Zaki alluded to, also in that season finale conversation, they're bear hugging the continuity. It's going to explicitly address why we never heard Michael Burnham's name for the rest of Spock's life, 
And it's mm. going to be a kind of an interesting bit of creative wizardry to see what kind of excuse they come up with. Uh, I hope it's not out of resentment. That would yeah, be... Yeah, but it's going to be, though. You think it's going to be resentment? <laughs> yeah. yeah or like some sort of horrible guilt. It's not going to be good, Chris. Yeah. See, I, I don't know, because because I feel like the the by doing if they do that then it puts the audience against burnham like it it stacks yeah. the deck because if if there's you know what i mean because we're just preternaturally we're predisposed to be sympathetic to spock just because he's effing spock right yeah and so right sure the, the idea that i don't know yeah i mean i i guess we'll, we just have to wait and find out yeah, I mean, I, part of me thinks that they're not going to do it just because it would be so easy to make it uh, rooted in resentment. But, uh, you know, they've they've taken some turns that were on the easy path before, specifically with the season finale. I still don't think that that's a great episode of season one of Discovery, even though it got to places that I wanted to see. But, uh, you yeah, know, we'll, we'll just have to tell or we'll, time will tell. As the in the other thing is, is we've already done the, the resentful sibling thing with cyborg yeah and that's not something right. they want to call back to I don't, yeah <laughs> uh, at least i hope not uh but hey oh maybe you know what maybe they could do the cyborg story in the way that it was meant to be told and that would be maybe be kind of cool i mean there's if, there's room for cyborg i wouldn't i wouldn't be against a cyborg appearance but taking creative cues from star trek 5 <laughs> that would not be my first recommendation but uh but let's move along we got one more little news item just 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 a little one uh work <laughs> has begun on the upcoming jean-luc picard centric cbs all access series with patrick stewart himself tweeting an image out of him in the writer's room his involvement seems to be pretty immense and we know that the upcoming show will take place roughly 20 years after the events of star trek nemesis so right on the cusp of the 25th century. And a recent Trek movie report also clarifies that from the production side, it's viewed not as a limited series, like all of us thought it was going to be, but as an mm. ongoing project that's envisioned to have multiple seasons. So guys, after having the summer to mull over how this show could be shaping up, what do you think now that you've had more time to sit with it? And what do you think of the prospect of Picard on a potentially indefinite basis? Cicero. I hope that we get a BBC style six episode series season. I would be okay with that. I would I would absolutely love that. That if we could get, you know, our 75 minute ep six 75 minute episodes, mm -hmm. I think those would that would be fantastic. Um any more than that then I'm, I, you know, I hate to talk about it, but Sir Patrick Stewart is getting up in age. Um, you know, the, the rigors of, of television is, is something that I, you know, I worry about for people that are of, of age. And, and if he's got to lead the show as opposed to just being a character on the show, um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of time, uh, invested and and I just don't want to have to put him through that kind of stuff so six episodes knock it out it's a very caring perspective but uh it's, it's interesting I, I honestly didn't expect that 
Zachy? You know, I mean, I, I think to Cicero's point, I, the, the one advantage of this character and, and one presumes the premise they've come up with is that I'm assuming he's not going to be, you know, hanging from, uh, you know, scaffolding and battling board <laughs> queens. I think it'll be a lot of like sitting in the chair and, and talking and stuff. So I, I would assume that it's it, it it'll play to what he's capable of right now. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, he looks great for his age. I mean, my gosh, he's oh yeah, and, and and so yeah. that's 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 nice. I ultimately what it comes down to for me is, and and I may have said this previously, I can't remember, but I mean, they clearly came up with a premise that convinced him it was worth bringing Captain Picard uh, out of the cobwebs, you know. And I think sure. more yeah. than anything, that's like I'm kind of like, obviously, we're all just excited. Hey, man, Captain Picard's coming back, but I'm also like. What is the thing that got Patrick Stewart excited to bring Captain Picard back? That's what I'm so curious for. Because he could have done this any time. It's not like he needed to do it. Yeah, that's true. You know. The timing the timing is definitely a factor, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh Rachel, ongoing Captain Picard or Ambassador Jean-Luc Picard. I wanted just to be contrarian, be the opposite of Cicero and be like, work him till he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he owes us. <laughs> he owes us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't, what's the difference between an ongoing and a limited series? Like really? Hmm. Right. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, it seems like one can like convert into the other in the age of streaming at the whims of the producers and so, so i th- i think i think the only difference is contractually I see. right well, I, it also, I think it also depends on how many episodes per season because we have no idea if maybe right. maybe it's going to be six single hour episodes that make up a season of this show right. or maybe it'll be discovery sized it's it, the only thing that i know as far as that stuff is concerned is that cbs after they saw the success of Discovery, thank God it was successful, CBS is now apparently fully committed to always having something Star Trek in the mix to have on all access. So mm. really, if that's their strategy, then Picard might just be the beginning that there's potentially a third series out there that we don't right. know about that could always be running uh, when one of the other shows is off. Now, Picard's not going to be a permanent solution to that. It can't be just by virtue of Patrick Stewart's age. I'm sure that he's not going to want to do it forever again. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. I'm sure he's really happy um, to hear us cavalierly talk about his mortality well, like this. But, <laughs> I mean, it is it is something we have to consider, though. I mean, it's right. Like, yeah. it's not, but again, he's in great shape. He looks very, yes. very good. Yes. He's a, yes. he's still a, a damn handsome yes. man. If he thinks oh, yes. he can do it for you know for the the rigors of a TV schedule, then more power to him. It's just not as likely. That's all. That's all I'm trying right. to say. So I'm I'm really interested to see how they're more interested in expanding Star Trek on all access. I kind of hope that they keep things in the late 24th, early 25th century to keep pushing things forward. We have Discovery. In the 23rd, really continuing adventures of Enterprise, I hope, are somewhere is somewhere in the back of someone's mind at CBS, or at least doing something with those characters to give them a send-off. I would love to see something like that. Of course, it's all you speculation know, on my part. But you know what I would love? I would absolutely love 
an animated series. It's working well for Star Wars. Right. It, it just an animated Star Trek series. I don't know what, you know, I don't know where it's set. I don't know if it's, you know, maybe it's a t- maybe it's a TNG animated series. Mm-hmm. Sort of the where space all, you know. Them. Right. Yeah. And and uh, you know, uh they they wind up with you can bring the rest of the you can bring the entire crew back and just do voice acting. Mm-hmm. I'd be into it. Yeah. Stop giving them free ideas. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. have any ideas. Yeah. If you want ideas, <laughs> right. you gotta right. pay me. <laughs> well, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Chris. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. I'm not taking my. I'm not taking mine or the Joker's own advice. All right. Well, yeah. So I think pretty safe to say then that we're all pretty excited about what the future could hold for Star Trek. But we do have a classic to talk about here today. So let's move along to our discussion for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season four, episode three, The Visitor. So if you've listened to our previous episodes in this sub-series, you know that each panelist will take the lead in the respective discussion for their episode choice since they chose this topic. It also allows us to engage with the episode's material in the way that they find most important. So the basic premise of The Visitor is that a young fan of elderly writer Jake Sisko turns up at his door and he recounts to her the story of losing his father in a temporal displacement accident aboard the Defiant. What follows is likely the single most emotional episode that Deep Space Nine ever produced, anchored by series-defining performances from Avery Brooks, from Sarah Lofton, and guest star Tony Todd as the older Jake Sisko. If you're listening to this show, you probably know all of that just to get out of the way. So having said all of that, this episode was chosen by Zaki Hassan. So Zaki, take us away. Thank you. And and thank you, Chris, by the way. Uh, I, I always say you're the captain of our ship, and I appreciate that you helped uh, sort of uh, formulate uh, the, the thoughts that I was having uh, without even realizing what I was thinking. You helped me really uh, formalize the discussion. So well, thank, thank you. you, Captain. <laughs> My pleasure, sir. So you, you mentioned at the top that this is the third episode of season four. Uh, it was the third film, but it was the second aired of the fourth season. I only uh, mentioned that because... Uh-huh. Uh, not because I'm like, but but I mention it because uh, it I I to me my interfacing with this episode part of it was its juxtaposition with having aired just after Way of the Warrior, which was as as far as series defining episodes go, that was pretty important because you know it brought Worf onto the show, mm-hmm. it completely demolished the Klingon dynamic. I mean, it was a big it was a feature length episode it was big um and so uh the the visitor coming next what made that so what made it stand out even more was how confident it was because it is by no means a traditional deep space nine episode and you know when i think of my emotional connection with this i think of that but to all of you it is one of the more raw emotional episodes in the franchise and uh, uh, if you can remember back to before you saw this episode and comparing it to each of your perceptions after you had the chance to see it, did it change any of your pre-existing notions about Ben Sisko, about Jake, 
but their relationship, both of them. Uh, Cicero, why don't you start? You know, um, I always looked at uh, Ben Cisco, uh, you know, or Avery Brooks um, mm-hmm. as an actor, you know, capital A actor. Um, <laughs> so, so when you know whatever it is that he needs to to pull from from a character draw from in order to make the 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 scene come to life or or make uh something happen um he's able to do it and i think throughout throughout ds9 um and one of the reasons that that uh, cisco is my favorite commander is because Avery Brooks embodies that guy in a way like he's an actor's actor. Um, and he, you know, he was in full force in, in this episode. Um, but what was so interesting to me was that the episode for me was less about Jake Sisko and, and, uh, or, and Ben Sisko and, you know, and this, and this visitor, uh, it was about me and my sons and my father and and i just replaced those actors with with me and my family um and it, you know and i just i just lived within within the episode um and it was amazing uh so wow. it was it, it was it was really deep for me wow Rachel? Well, I think the first time I saw this, I can remember just being kind of like, why don't you just get over it? (laughs) (laughs) My God. But my wife, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she is a Vulcan. (laughs) Very Ayn Rand point of view. (laughs) I remember being like, well, like. Your dad died when? Right. No, like, I mean, watching it as an older person, like, right. um, not as, like, I don't know, I was like 20. There's a picture of Rachel watching this episode curling on a on a workbench, curling, <laughs> curling her biceps. Yeah. <laughs> Get over it, bro. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, watching it again uh, later, I was sort of struck by i mean the how how terrible would it be if you couldn't really get past the death of a loved one or like move on with your life because they were still kind of around and like there's something you sh- could or should do to bring them back and so like i definitely understood it better uh with a little bit more life experience (laughs) like you know how how do you get you know how do you move on with your life after you lose a loved one and how terrible it would be to have that disrupted by the fact that they're not really gone but then also how wonderful if you know your loved ones who had left you were able to see where you were in your life and give you advice even for just a few minutes um so i think it's a really nice meditation on those ideas of of loss and um, what it would be like to be able to talk to people you've lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Well, 
see this one struck me at a at a pretty interesting time in my life in general just because i didn't actually watch deep space nine for the first time all the way through until about 2011 so i came to it very very late uh and because i I mean i was one of those stupid people that where's the track in the stars all that that crap and uh so when i actually took the time to give deep space nine a try because it was kind of like what cicero recently did with voyager so so this was a blind spot i needed to fill that blind spot and um the year before i had actually lost my father uh so when i got to the visitor it was perhaps more emotional or it was about as emotional as it possibly could be for me to watch it at the point that i watched it in uh because you know it, it is that question like would you really be able to get over a loss if they were still kind of there but also at the same time just the the core aspect of losing your of a young man losing his father as as Jake right. even said at the very beginning of the episode it's debilitating i still haven't really gotten over it i don't think i ever will right. so right. i intimately understood almost from from the jump uh his obsession even before he realized exactly what was going on uh so i mean it's it's not the it's not the kind of perception for this episode i would wish upon anyone but as to right. the original intent of the question, did it change my notions about the Cisco's? You know, it it put even though I always saw Benjamin Cisco as a really important mentor figure in the series at large, it put that in such a relatable context to, especially to an experience that I had recently gone through, that it made me look at Benjamin Cisco far more like a father figure. Like if if. Mm-hmm. If the visitor hadn't happened until after, let's say, season six, when Cisco tricked the Romulans into joining the war, um, mm. then I would have far more of a perception of Cisco as a conniver, right? Right. But this episode really puts into perspective how important the familial unit is, and you know it's taken even further, especially when. You, you think about uh, the the episodes with Picard being tortured by the Cardassians and how uh, the, the gull is talking to the child saying humans don't like their children as much as we do. And then the stuff that you saw with Dukat where he's talking about all of his children and the love that he has for his family. Family is at the core of every major beating heart of a Star Trek character in one respect or another. And the Cisco's sense of family really struck a chord with me. So it it made them infinitely more relatable, I guess, is what happened to me in the end. Right. So, Chris, I have a question. So, so by the time you watch, I mean, 2011, you're going through it. By then, you had to have some idea that the visitor was already very highly thought of. Mm-hmm. So did you go in with that in mind? Like, oh, this is like one of the the great episodes. I was cognizant of that, but not to uh, the degree that I probably should have been. Just because Mm. what I tried to do, uh, for instance, when I started the show, I knew that Jadzia was going to die. And Mm -hmm. 
I, so I wanted to try and close myself off from as much information about it as I could in order to keep it genuinely refreshing. Uh, be- mm-hmm. because throughout that entire watch through, I was counting down. I knew exactly when Jedzia was going to die. And it was sort of like this focal point in the show for me, even though it didn't come until the end of season six, but I always right. knew it was there. So I consciously closed myself off even, you know, as a kid, and I was talking to Rachel about this the other day, uh, I obsessively read the Star Trek encyclopedia to the point where the bounding fell out when I was a kid. Uh, and, and that's, so that's how much I, I loved Star Trek, but I kind of just tried to isolate myself and just watch it. And it really did make the visitor strike even more of a chord with me, but it also, it might not have mattered because having gone through the loss of my father, I think sharpened the blade for it to stab into my chest. Even more. Wow. I wasn't aware that it was, you know, one of the great episodes when I watched it, but actually um, sort of the, the presence of Tony Todd kind of like, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I know that actor. Right. Like this must be like, like, I don't know for some reason, like, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, Oh, you know, he's like an actor. Mm -hmm. So like, this is going to be like a serious episode. Right. (laughs) <laughs> well and you know tony todd he does such a good job just being jake you know yes, like yeah he, he does a good job of taking what Sirik lofton was doing on the show and just kind of obviously the writing is a big part of it too but he seemed to extrapolate from the performance really well into something that was totally truthful and, and great and I'd, i've never seen candy man but uh oh, oh wow it's a very good movie is it all right. Yeah, it is actually. All right. Well, we'll put it on the list. Hey, it's it's October. It's set in Chicago. That's yeah. terrifying. But uh, <laughs> for my money, this is the best thing I've ever seen from him. Hmm. Yeah. Um. You you know what's so what's what's funny and it really. Uh, man, I you know I don't know. I guess I I was in it in the moment, and like I was saying, that it it that what happened for me was that I wound up replacing my relationships with with uh you know both my my father and my son, um with with Jake and and Ben, um and so you know I really was kind of uh just just immersed within this this character, um. Uh, you know, and, and this portrayal because my father and I haven't seen each other in, uh, I haven't seen him since I moved to Chicago and I moved to Chicago 13 years ago. Wow. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, and I've had, uh, issues with my own son, um, where we're basically, you know, where we've we were estranged and and uh one of the things that we've done since we've uh uh since we've been gone is i've reconnected with my son mm-hmm. um but you know just during ha- understanding um from both sides of that being being uh, a a son of a father who is gone but i know he's not mm-hmm. but to me he might as well be But still holding on to knowing that there is a chance that you can reconnect and then being the father of a son who is gone to you and and what he's going through. So so from, you know, 
from you know from a very real perspective i was able to understand that um from these characters and from this story uh and it it really like it it really affected me hmm. that's so interesting it's it, yeah i mean sister just picking up on what you're saying you know obviously uh, I, th- I think your reaction is normal where you can't help but sort of imprint yourself or aspects of yourself onto a story like this. And definitely uh, at the time it came out, I mean, this is uh, whenever it aired, you know, mid nineties, right. you know, I was, I was a teenager. So I was in Jake's position. And then now with children of my own, I'm in, I'm in uh, Ben's position, you know, and I, right. I, I can't help, you know, it's it, it, when I look at the totality of Ben Sisko as a character, the thought, one thought I had as I was just sitting here talking with you guys is, you know, I, I, I have a good relationship with my dad. We get along very well, but my dad was never physically affectionate with me. It's just, that's not sure. sort of his personality. It's not something I expect, I expected of him either, but something that I do with my kids all the time is I'll just grab him by the shoulder. I'll pull him close and I kiss him on top of the head. Right. And I do that because Benjamin Sisko did that to Jake. Yeah. Nice. That's part of my language as a parent because I saw Captain Sisko modeling that. And I was th- I, nice. that thought actually just occurred to me now as I'm sitting here talking to you. Uh, you know, so we talk about how our lives are shaped by, by the fictions that we take in. I mean, here's a perfect example, you know? <laughs> right, right. You know? Right. Well, it's just, um, it's just amazing uh, how... How those things, I mean, yeah, because Zachy and I'm sure that Jonathan Kent is in there too somewhere. And uh, Yeah, yeah, and, and I had the opportunity to, to tell uh, John Schneider that when I met wow. him. Cool. I was like, I'm, you know, I uh, my concept of what a father should be, uh, part of that is based on what I saw John Schneider embody as Jonathan Kent on Smallville. Beautiful. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. So moving on, so, so starting with The Next Generation, the theme of family is something you mentioned earlier, Chris. The theme of family became more pronounced in the franchise, but The Visitor takes that significantly further than almost every episode that dealt with it both before and afterwards. Uh, what do you think it might be about a sci-fi series like Star Trek that lends itself so well to exploring familial issues? And would you say that The Visitor fits in a classically Star Trek mold? Did it break that mold? Uh, Chris, why don't, why don't you start with that? Uh, well, I think what we were all talking about just a second ago uh, is sort of emblematic of uh, why those issues work so well in its context, because at its best, Star Trek is almost like a universal language, right? And hmm. it's even universally relevant, particularly in its own time, but hopefully, you know, decades afterward too. And with this, everybody has a strong impression of family, whether it's positive or negative, but family itself is sort of a universal constant that everybody can understand to one degree or another, whether we aspire to have a better one or whether we appreciate the one that we have or, uh, or, you know, just get mad every single time one of our parents calls us on the phone. I mean, it's, it could be a whole host of different emotions that you feel, but, um, I think that Star Trek lends itself so well to exploring family because uh, the best Star Trek always understands uh, the kinds of things that make the human condition so universal. And uh, so in that respect, does it fit in a mold? Technically, yeah, but I also think it kind of broke it too because it expanded it even further. I think the most 
emotional family episode before this one was probably right after, you know, Picard recovered from his assimilation and went to visit his family. It was a totally different dynamic than what we see from the Cisco's. But that also, although Chris, when you think about it, the the B plot of that episode is about a son dealing with true. the loss of his father. Yes, you know. Yes, uh, so there is there is some connective tissue there. Absolutely, and also too, I think that it's just it's a matter of you know it fits into a kind of universal mold, but it also does break it because uh, hmm. how deep it cuts. So you know, with episodes like home and with episodes like the visitor, it's just, it's varying degrees of, uh, getting into the minds of people with very different family situations. So yes, that B plot was connective, but if you look at the Picards and you compare them to the crushers and you compare them to the Cisco's, you're going to get a wide swath of people that, you know, think about what their own situations are like. And they're going to relate to one of them and they're going to uh, have some kind of strong emotional connection to a conception of a family that might not be close to their own. So Hmm. that's, I think, why it succeeds. As far as why science fiction can explore it, the visitor kind of proves it. You know, it takes an impossible situation of quasi grief that's not quite possible to move away from but keeps it in the orbit of the characters. And I'm not sure if there's anything other than sort of like a science, science fiction kind of perspective that can make it so potent as we saw in an episode like this one. And you know, what's crazy is, is Christopher Nolan basically did a big budget version of the visitor with interstellar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he did. You know, cause it, he hits a lot of those same touchstones, the same idea of, of a child having to, to, uh, be without a parent and what that makes them like and the grief that the parent feels for not being there for those milestones. I mean, it, it's almost like we're getting the stories from like two different perspectives. It, the interstellar is like if we followed from Cisco's point of view, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's doing right. the same thing, you know? And, and I just, just to uh, piggyback off what you were saying, Chris, I mean, I think the, the science fiction element of being able to, attempt to get closure for for this for a wound that remains raw right because because you know i said this way earlier when we were setting up this this episode right the the one of the great fears any parent has is what if something happens to me before they're ready right right yeah um and and you know what that can do to a kid and so the the, the you know that's what this episode allows for it's you know jake says it at the very end right we're getting a second chance, you know, yeah. and, and you can have that wrapped up in a little science fiction bow because that's not something often that life uh, allows us, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Rachel, what are your thoughts? Um, so I think it, it fits the, the Star Trek mold pretty well. I mean, I was telling Chris right after we uh, rewatched it, that it, this was sort of like a deep space nine inner light because it happened only in, cisco's mind like that's true um yeah so i think it's a there's a very something very star trekky about it and that it only <laughs> happened to one of the characters or, or having these little bottle episodes that never really happen because they get erased um and i like i mean i'm fine with that i know some people don't really like it um like they don't like when you know the things that happen never really happened but um 
but I have no issues with it. Um, I, with regards to Star Trek being a good um, uh, place to explore family issues, I think it's it's just that you know Star Trek is is a good sort of framework or structure for exploring any topics that the writers are able to construct a good story around. I mean, you can, you can tell any kind of story in a Star Trek vein. And um, I mean, stories about family are like one of the fundamental stories that humans tell. So that's why, that's why it works out really well. But, you know, for some reason they can't tell romances very good i'm gonna i'm gonna chalk that up to the individual uh writers not the the fact that you just can't uh write a good romance for for star trek blue skies (laughs) what nothing never mind (laughs) uh cicero your thoughts um so i think it's what when you said the question, I think one of the things that really came to my head was the fact that the TOS really was a warship, whereas mm. TNG they they had a a and they were explorers and they were an exploratory ship and there were families on board. So the the idea that Star Trek was about family, I think, really was cemented. Um, and, you know, blossomed and bloomed within TNG. And I think that DS9 is the next series um, embrace that more so than any of the series after that. Um, you know, we talk about family, but but there weren't necessarily families on board uh, the other vessels uh, to to a larger degree um, uh, once once we got out of DS9. Um, and but like I. You can tell stories, like Rachel said, you can tell the stories of um, about families because it is such a uh, quintessential uh, unifier for, for you know, humans. Um, yeah. But, but the, it's this, this, you know, I mean, this episode, I think, worked well because it was a great episode. It was, you know, it was well thought out. It was well written. Um, and the performances were, were phenomenal across the board. And, you know, and it was a story about family. Um, and it was a story about things. Once you get to a certain age, and I think, you know, when I saw it, I wasn't a father. Um, and, you know, it was just an episode. Um, yeah. But, but uh now that I have been and, you know, and, and have lived and experienced uh, myriad things uh, throughout my life, I was able to empathize with uh, the thought process to create a story such as this. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that that worked well. Yeah, no, I think I think uh, what you say is really profound because because in, in a broader sense, when we when you really think about it, uh, this is a show. This is an episode rather about uh eternal love right you know and and the notion of eternal love is not something that's alien to science fiction stories no pun intended but the idea of that love being not a romantic love but but the love of a parent and a child and i think that's that's different that's unique and to deal with it so openly and honestly and and i think there's something also to be said about the fact that 
you know, and when I think of this episode, obviously the, the whole the whole run of it always gets to me. But it's the closing seconds when you know Cisco has sort of reset the timeline, mm-hmm. and and we know he still has a memory of everything he went through because Jake's like, "Are you are you okay, Dad?" And he he says, "I am now." Yeah. And you right. hear his voice just crack just slightly. Right. right. And and I think uh, when we look at Avery Brooks's choices throughout the episode as an actor, actually him and Tony Todd both, right. they play they play with such open, honest emotion. It puts to the lie the notion of quote unquote masculinity. Yeah. You, know, you have to be stoic and you can right. you know. It's and and I think especially to have that from a person of color. Uh, I think that's so important, right? Um, b- because because you know, and this is something Avery Brooks was was uniquely cognizant of. He was like a walking, talking statement, whether he liked it or not. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so much of what he did as Cisco was to say, "I'm, I don't, I want this character to be an example for people." And and I think you know, I remember the earliest interviews. I, you know, one thing I remember about Avery Brooks is he, whenever he gave an interview talking about the character, he always described him as a brown person. Mm-hmm. He didn't call. He didn't say Cisco's black. He said right. brown. And and the reason that always stuck with me is I felt like he was including me in that as well mm-hmm. as a brown person. I always use that. I use that phraseology because I heard Avery Brooks say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he defined what it means to be a a a, a man who is a, per, a person of color. What is, what does that entail? What is a father who is a person of color? And so, right. so much of that shaped uh, the character's arc for those seven seasons. And it's just, it's boiled down to its, its essence in this episode. Yes. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, man, you were, you were speaking. I felt like I was in class <laughs> with you. Right oh, <laughs> you were speaking directly to me. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, so as we sort of wrap up this discussion, uh, one thing the visitor did do was gives Jake Cisco a, almost a sense of destiny, something that the next generation never really succeeded at with Wesley. Well, they, they tried to hit you over the head with it with Wesley. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley's special. He's special. <laughs> did you hear? He's special. Hey, I just got an email that said Wesley's special. So Beverly, I just got another memo. Yeah. Um, how do you think this episode does in separating Jake from Wesley as, quote, the supporting child character and uh who do you find it easier to relate to when thinking back on them both uh rachel we'll start with you you have uh, some thoughts on this. Well, of course jake is easier to relate to because <laughs> like he has like a realistic um relationship with his parent whereas like i don't know like wesley and beverly like barely interact Right. <laughs> fine mom. Yeah, I won't go on the bridge of the ship. Fine. I slapped him. I slapped him. The last episode I watched is where like she's flirting with some guy and he's like, is she just a friend, mom? And it's like nobody talks to their mom like that. Like, hey, 24th century has evolved. They're not horrified by their mom dating. I guess not. I guess, yeah, I guess not. Um, It's a biological urge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I, um, yeah, so Jake has a realistic relationship. Uh, You know, Jake also, like, realistic in the sense that he also, like, he does stuff that his, like, dad doesn't want him to do either. Like, he wants him to... At first, he wants him to join Starfleet, and he's like, I don't really want to do that. And then they, like, 
still love each other, which is <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and Cisco and his dad have that too, where they're kind of like bickering, but in love, which is, you know, very, uh, a very realistic thing because you think you're always annoyed with your family, but you still love them. Right. Um, right. But yeah, and also because Jake wasn't joining Starfleet, he's, you know, an average or, or like normal person. Maybe he's like pretty talented writer, but, you know, he's not, you know, attractive. The chosen he's, one. Yeah, he's not <laughs> interstellar beings to have oh, him become boy. energy or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, there isn't... Yeah, there the only thing about Wesley that I would relate to, I guess, is being expected to be good all the time because you're I mean, like I was a lot smarter than a lot of people growing up and I think that that kind of put an expectation on myself that I w- would always be the smartest. And then mm-hmm. I always kind of as an adult feel like I'm like not living up to what I like as being told that oh, you know, you're really you're really special, you're the you know, the best person in the class being told that over and over again, like when you realize you're not actually that special, like you kind of always feel like you're not very good, <laughs> like yeah. as an adult, yeah. but like, I don't know. They never explored that with Wesley. It was just always, he really was the best. <laughs> so yeah. You might get straight A's in school. It, you know, you know, <laughs> What's interesting about Wesley is, I, you know, Wesley was Gene Roddenberry's middle name. So mm-hmm. he was clearly like an homage to Gene Roddenberry. And I wonder if as a result of that, they didn't, they just didn't know what to do with the character that would be inadvertently perceived as, you know, offending Gene Roddenberry or being insulting of him. So that's why they sort of put him up on a pedestal because to some extent, that's what fans have done to Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe they can do, yeah. a, like, if we're going to pitch shows, they can do Wesley as an adult where he... Ooh, dude, I want that show. <laughs> I just want it to be him. Like, he's got a beer gut and he's just, like, <laughs> no, he's, watching he's TV all He's still a wonderkin, but he does, like, all of his mediocre classmates are, like, randomly got rich by, like, <laughs> doing the right profession. And so now he's like, oh, man, like... <laughs> I really wasn't <laughs> successful. Like, he's, cap- he's captain of a garbage scout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Uh, I mean, Jake is infinitely more relatable, uh, not least of which because I spend an inordinate amount of time writing. So, you know, yeah. there, and I'm sure that, you know, Zachy, you saw some recognizable aspects of wanting, you know, just, just, wanted to punch up that last paragraph before you stick yeah. your head up to, to see exactly what's going on around you. But uh, I mean, just from the hum- the human perspective, like, uh, and I don't know if this is like a common feeling among Star Trek fans, but I always rolled my eyes whenever the traveler showed up every time. Yeah. Oh dude. Totally. Every time. And is, I mean, just yeah. because that, you know, you talked about destiny at the beginning. That's how they kind of tried to shoehorn it in from the from the start with Wesley, right? Because the traveler right. saw something in him, and uh, and they just utterly failed with that across seven years. I mean, not as a regular, obviously, but 
we were aware of Wesley and he appeared uh, throughout the, the majority of the show's seven seasons. So they just totally chose to leave that behind. And then he became, you know, like a protester in the last episode. But then when he turns up at Riker and Troy's wedding, he's in a Starfleet dress uniform again. And I know that there's like a, whether it was in the novelization or an original script or something that his clothes were like torn up and he was just borrowing a uniform. It's just like contrived, but it's a very strange (laughs) journey that Wesley goes on. And Jake's journey isn't strange, but it's very recognizable because of its humanity. So I always prefer, you know, for if we're going to go into the to pitching territory, why don't we have a show with Wesley, Jake, and Nog, just those three? <laughs> and, oh, man. <laughs> and see what they're up to on the cusp of the 25th century, because that might be a little bit interesting. But yeah, I mean, Jake has always been uh, far more of a relatable character than what, and that's not to say that I dislike Wesley. I don't. Um, but right. if I, if I see aspects of myself in anyone, in anyone's experience or in anyone's personality, easily that's Jake over Wesley. I was not a prodigy as a child, far from it. Hmm. And, and well, and, and Wesley was really, in my opinion, he was at his strongest when, he hit that that prodigy prodigyness is uh, uh challenged or you know just discounted i mean when i think of like good wesley episodes the game um first duty first duty yeah for sure, right. right uh which is all about hey you think you're hot shit mm-hmm. uh not so much i mean i mean when when picard dresses him down that's like that's like uh, you know what i mean that's like santa yelling at you you know what i mean <laughs> You're like, oh my god! I feel it's terrible. one of the defining you know? card monologues. Oh, it's so great! I actually screen that in my uh, classes because I talk about uh, uh, ethos, logos, and pathos, and I mm-hmm. I define them, and then I screen that, and I say, "Where's the ethos? Where's the logos? Where's the mm-hmm. pathos?" And that always, I I keep that alive. Yeah, excellent, <laughs> nice. Uh, Cicero, what do you think? Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Wesley guy. No, of course it's Jake, right? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, uh, and again, like Chris, nothing against Wesley Crusher, um, and and the character was was a wild character. The, the the defining moments for me for Wesley Crusher were always uh, the game. Um, like yeah. I just felt like that was, that was his moment. Um, but, but Jake from aesthetically, uh, um, if, if I can be vain for a second, aesthetically, obviously I saw myself in Star Trek with the Cisco's. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. so, yeah. so. Um, and, you know, and almost to the exclusion of, of everything else, almost everywhere else. Um, and, and the fact that there was, you know, when I was watching the show uh, or when the show was live, my relationship with my father was much better. Um, and, and, you know, my father was always, he was a very affectionate person. He was really smart. He was someone I admired. Um, but he was, you know, he was hard, but he was still 
um, you know, my representation of what manhood was. And it was one that I could be proud of, you know, at least based on, you know, based on my uh, assumptions and my assertions at the time, it was something that I could be proud of. And I saw that also in uh, Ben Sisko and his relationship with Jake. Uh, and and then Jake as a human um, just was was more of that was more three dimensional than um, than than Wesley Crusher ever ever was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, when you when you look at the the modern Trek shows, I mean, you know, Picard had his surrogate son in Wesley. Jake, Jake was obviously Captain Cisco's son, and and uh, uh, Captain Archer had his dog Porthos. <laughs> right. So those are your, <laughs> right. your, kids, your kids on the show, you know, right. and very different approaches. Right. Uh, I think I think uh, Cicero, what you said is is very apt. I mean, I think uh, I think I think for me, the growth of the character over the seven seasons is what's most uh, uh, when you look at the show in total. That's what you get to see is he goes from a child in in the pilot to he is a man by the time the show ends. And, you know, we, we've essentially seen uh, the kind of father uh, Captain Sisko was in the kind of man that Jake Sisko has become. And I think that's, that's one of the treasures that this show offers when you view it in its totality. Right. Excellent. And with that, uh, I'm, I'm going to hand uh, the center seat back to, to Chris. All right. Let me, uh, stretch my back here before I sit back in it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> the con is yours. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, well, that was that was a good one, guys. I mean, really, Zachy, excellent choice, of course. I mean, I think we've all picked pretty solid episodes. We're not exactly doing hidden gems here. We're doing our favorites. And uh, it's pretty <laughs> easy to see uh, how that one rises to the top, even, you know, from uh, the most objective perspective. I think that's clearly one of the the best episodes that Star Trek has produced. So very well done, sir. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good. Thank you. Good episode. I was really happy to watch it again. Uh, so before we bring you another one of our panel's favorite episodes, we're going to be devoting our next episode to the first in the series of short treks, really our first look at uh, new material related to discovery. After that though, we'll be returning to the past. So Cicero, your episode is up next. So first, guide us through your thought process before you made your specific choice and let us know what your choice is. Well, uh, so my thought process was let's, well, I think when we initially started talking about this, full disclosure, when we initially started talking about this, I um, I naturally gravitated towards uh, something that I had watched from discovery because it was fresh in my mind and and I was like oh yeah this is this is a good one mm-hmm. and it just so happened that we all had picked episodes from from the different series uh within the franchise and then our good friend Sharif Jackson also wanted to contribute and his choice was my choice so okay, then wow. yeah so I defer to to Sharif on uh, his choice. All right. So uh, instead, what I decided to do was pick something from Enterprise instead of Discovery. Nice. And I decided to go with season two, episode 23, Regeneration. 
Interesting nice. choice. Uh, good choice. Love it. The Borg. The Borg. Oh, Borg. God. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> have some opinions. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Interesting choice. Now, now, what what was it that led you specifically? I mean, obviously, we're going to get into it when the episode rolls right. around. But what was it that right. led you there? So, you know, I, I thought it was a it was a great episode where we weren't, you know, we weren't necessarily on a ship. Um, we were able to paint the Borg as something more than one dimensional. Um, and it, it gave us a good chance to talk to a lot of the characters in enterprise. So, um, this was, this felt good to me. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, that's going to be, I can already tell it's going to be a very lively discussion. So, <laughs> so excellent choice. And, you know, it gives us a little bit of an opportunity as well to examine some things that are going on with, uh, discovery in, in terms of retconning. So yeah, right. that's that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Well, right. uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed our return from quite a long absence. One thing that I did want to share with you before I uh, left you completely, I always say at the end of the show, you know, if you want to write a review, please do on Facebook, on iTunes, whatever it might be, and we will read it at the end of the show. Well, someone reviewed us on Facebook, uh, a listener Wait. named Michelle. She says... This is an awesome look at each episode with real Star Trek nerds at the helm. So happy I found you on Podbean. Love it and all four of you. Michelle, thank you very much. The feeling is mutual. We really appreciate that you've come along with us and I hope you enjoy what we have in store for the future. So very nice words. Always appreciated. Uh, but constructive criticism is also welcome as well. We, we do want to be a, a, a continuously evolving show in a positive direction so you know feel free to let constructive criticism come down the pike uh, but just know that we will rebut you if we think it's necessary <laughs> so <laughs> that's going to do it for episode 27 of discovery debrief we hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please like and follow us on our social media channels and if you'd be so kind we'd also appreciate it if you review for the show on itunes or facebook it only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted as i just did if you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss the first episode of Short Treks as we continue the journey towards Season 2 of Discovery in January. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>